Let me pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. May my words and our hearts together glorify you. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm very excited to be introducing this sermon series to you today. I am doing a rift on Otis Moss III, Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III's book, Blue Note Preaching in a Post-Soul World, Finding Hope in an Age of Despair. Reverend Dr. Otis Moss is the senior pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, Illinois. He has said in his book, um, the blues is not just about a preacher with a black face preaching. No, it's about black preaching and black culture. And the blues actually informed the development of jazz and hip-hop. A careful listening will reveal there is what is what Reverend Moss calls the moan and the shout of the blues. And Moss suggests that for people of faith, we need to reclaim the blues moan and the gospel shout. He writes, black preaching, I believe, is a unique cultural narrative and theological enterprise where African-American motifs meet diverse Western influences in North America. Interestingly, uh, um, this follows uh, the exact uh, framing of the Hebrew Psalms. We hear it in the psalm assigned for this Sunday. The order is reversed, so I'll read the last verses first. The blues moan. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my life and deliver me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you, O God. The moan. The blues moan. Being honest about where we are. And now hear the opening verses of our assigned psalm for today. The gospel shout. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all day long. Reverend Dr. Moss suggests that the blues is a means to reclaim our Christian faith from those who view our Christian faith as solely personal piety or the false view of an ever-present prosperity. So then, um, what does the blues and today's have to do with today's scripture reading and all the gospel lessons of the season of Lent? What do, how does the blues play into what we will go through in the next 
six weeks. I want to suggest to you that every story we hear during this season is laden with something of the blues, with something of lament. But it also contains within it the first strains, the anticipation of Easter, the gospel proclamation, the gospel shout, if you will. And the blues reality of this passage in one sentence. Scripture can be some now drives him into the, the same spirit now that how is it I ask that the God of all hope is the same God whose spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness well now I get a little woogie about this because I want you to know that um that when I look at this and I ask why, why did Jesus need to be in the wilderness for some reason? And did this wilderness period of struggle and temptation provide something essential to his ministry or accomplish some end that isn't apparent? Well, I just have to wonder why. I mean, I'm not a person who subscribes to the idea that God gives us heartache and challenges and despair and disappointment in order to teach us something. I do, however, understand that until we can look hard at these things, until we can look honestly at the things we face in this world, until we can address them, talk about them, understand them, that there's something about this wilderness wandering that we're in. And until we can get in and face the honest truth about ourselves and others, we don't have the chance of encountering the Spirit who will move us to a new place. Because of the truncated writing style of the writer of the Gospel of Mark, I don't think we really get the full impact of what has happened to Jesus He had just been baptized and heard the affirming voice of God say, You are my child, my beloved, with you I am well pleased, right? Can you imagine his bewilderment? The struggle that he is facing now finding himself in the wilderness? I mean, can we fully grasp what it would be to encounter wild beast of the desert wilderness? The Arabian leopard? The Nubian ibex, which is kind of looks like a very large goat? The oryx, a deer-like creature, but with very long and very destructive horns. The Nile crocodile, raptors and desert crabs and more. I mean, sometimes I'm just afraid of the dark in my own home. Much less out in the wilderness with all these beasts. But the most difficult of it all is to think that Jesus, in this time, in the wilderness, is confronted with the very essence of evil that the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures call Satan. And, and that, evil, that evil is something that dwells both within and without. No doubt Jesus was dealing with significant issues also related not just his anointing, his calling, his desires for power and control, but also 
his great sorrows of his people, those who have been marginalized and oppressed, a country that is occupied, those who die early, unnecessarily early in their lives, people who didn't have any chance at bettering their circumstances, people who could be cut down by the whims of a soldier who occupied their country and their world. According to the Gospel of Mark, we don't know how Jesus dealt with his circumstances. We don't know the emotions he might have experienced But his time in the wilderness had to be fraught with a range of emotions, fear, despair, self-doubt, and more. In short, we might have expected Jesus to turn and remember the songs of his childhood, the psalms of his sacred scripture, the lament, the blues, as we hear in Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And can you hear Jesus wrestling with the Spirit who had sent him into the wilderness? How How, O Lord, can I sing your song in this wilderness land? Of course, you and I are not immune to wilderness wanderings, are we? We just have to wonder if the same spirit who was with us at our own baptisms is the same spirit who sometimes drives us into the wilderness. I don't believe, as I said in a theology that states that God gives us crises and pain to draw us closer to God. But I do believe there is something to say about a faith that understands that God will not leave us in the wilderness, that God doesn't cause our pain, but is with us in the midst of it. Still, here we are in our own wilderness of COVID and social distancing, economic challenges, rampant racism, and the rise of... Christian nationalism and authoritarianism in the world and in our own country. And I believe, as I've said before, we will not be able to move past these pains without confronting them. We will not be able to move past these pains if we run from them, pretending they don't exist. We will need to, as Jesus did, spend time with these demons, these beasts, and confront them not just as individuals, but as a collective community. As Reverend Dr. Moss states, singing the blues is prophetic. Singing the blues is about tragedy, but refusing to fall into despair. And so I point you to the conclusion of our reading today. Here is the first inkling of the gospel shout. The story tells us that Even in that wilderness place, among the beasts, and in the face of evil, the angels waited upon him. And Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the reign of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. You see, the same spirit who anointed Jesus as a... 
as a dove at his baptism. The same spirit who drove him into the wilderness is the very same spirit who sends angels to minister to him, who brings him out of the wilderness into new life and into new ministry, proclaiming the reign of God is at hand. Awaken, turn and go this way with me and believe in the good news. This is the gospel shout. This is our Christian proclamation. Before you get to the resurrection shout, you have to go by way of the cross. In his play, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is newly released for our viewing, starring Viola Davis, prophet playwright August Wilson expresses the blues' prophetic power to release the individual, and dare I say, our culture, from spiritual isolation. The play's central character, Ma Rainey, is based on the life of blues singer Gertrude Ma Rainey and exclaims, The blues help you get out of bed in the morning. You get up knowing you ain't alone. There's something else in the world. Something's been added by that song. This be an empty world without the blues. I take the emptiness and try to fill it up with something. Reverend Dr. Moss states, Ma Rainey becomes a prophetic preacher with a deep blues sensibility. She is not seeking tragedy, but with a womanist vibe. A womanist uh, word is a word that reflects the theology and the preaching of black women. The, the womanist vibe and the blues sensibility, she is stating, I refuse to fall into despair. We have so much hope, so much of our resurrection faith to learn from the blues. One of America's unique and enduring art forms created by people kissed by nature's sun and rooted in the religious and cultural motifs of West Africa that dares to see the American landscape from the viewpoint of the underside. That's Reverend Dr. Moss's poetic language. As we look out at our cultural landscape, there are many reasons to despair. Yes, there are, and we dare not go forward without lament, lest our despair consume us. But the blues moves us to the gospel shout that the reign of God is at hand, and we are to awaken and follow the one who cares for us, calls us forth from our wildernesses, our wilderness wanderings, and brings us to new life and ministry. I felt this profoundly when I read an article from yesterday's Dallas Morning News yesterday morning. It was an article by Sharon Grigsby, who has, throughout the pandemic, visited the COVID unit at Parkland Hospital. The, the reason I read it is because the, the he headline read, while vaccine shopping and fantasies of post-pandemic life consume the rest of us, these caregivers struggle amid the sorrow of losing more patients than ever before. And after a young mom's death brought Parkland COVID unit to the breaking point, nurses seek hope to fight on. 
This was an article that showed eight different faces of COVID healthcare workers, nurses, and others as its cover. Grigsby explained that having managed resilience in the midst of this COVID pandemic, these healthcare workers have managed to find hope even when day after day they have cared for, ministered to, held the hands of those who were dying and who died. Grigsby writes, Then comes that one death that is just too much, the one that threatens to drag the whole unit over the edge. A 22-year-old woman far along in her first pregnancy when she was admitted showed all the signs of a COVID patient who would recover. A happy ending was in reach. But complications in the unborn child forced the mother to be placed on a ventilator so the baby could be delivered by C-section. Even amid the emergency hustle to the operating room, a nurse made sure the terrified patient could stay on the phone with her own mother. At first, the newborn thrived in the NICU. The mother also seemed to be recovering ever so close to coming off the ventilator. Then she began to slip away. For days, at each 12-hour shift, every caregiver's first question was whether the young mother was still alive in the ICU bed. When she died, every single nurse who had cared for her felt devastated. The baby went home the day after its mother died. The nurse executive had watched her team toggle for weeks between hope and grief over the 22-year-old's fate. Even in this wilderness, even in this desperate wilderness, surely the blues and lament can be heard, the deep sorrows that only poetry and music can express well. But you know, we are a gospel people, a people who know in our bones the gospel shout, the paschal mystery, living we die, and dying we live. Grigsby concludes her article with these words, in a pandemic too often defined by the numbers, the tallies of cases, tests, infection rates, vaccines, and death, these nurses have been steadfast that their patients will not be dehumanized. They made sure everyone was still an individual and reminded each other that even among the mass numbers, it wasn't okay to take, away, take that away from the patients. That was still someone's mom or brother or child or loved one. This team has always been incredible at keeping that as the focus of their care. It's the most cherished thing they do. It is the core of the unit and their motivation. They are a special group of people. Do you hear it? Do you hear the faint rings of the gospel shout in this story? Because it's there. The gospel shout, the reminder that the human spirit, the human soul, the relationship beyond death is resilient. And that we can learn from these caregivers what resilience can do. Even in this wilderness we currently find ourselves in, our faith dares to speak with love and creativity that the world is not right, but God still is. 
This is wilderness faith. A faith that speaks honestly of where we are but doesn't remain there. This is wilderness faith. A faith that sings the blues and shouts the gospel. So this week, why don't you go out there to YouTube and, and listen. Listen to Stormy Monday. Listen to the song, the blues song, Stormy Monday. And watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And see if you don't feel the Spirit moving in you and moving you out of your wilderness and into new life, a new place, a new ministry. Amen.